Hi, everybody. This is Charlie at Thriving School Community, based on our new book, Improving School Mental Health, The Thriving School Community Solution. And I'm so excited about this podcast today with Dr. Eric Youngman. You have so much authority in this field. You know exactly what's going on. You know what the problems are, Eric. So let's go ahead and dive into this conversation. Welcome. Say hi to everybody, please. Thank you for having me, Charlie. We've had some good conversations over the last couple of years, and um, I'm looking forward to this great conversation today. Yeah, and good. If you could just tell people what your role is, that's going to be super important for right now. I am the Assistant Superintendent for Teaching and Learning in Libertyville, Illinois. So this is my 10th year doing that. Uh, Before that, I was a principal and an assistant principal. And a long time ago, I was a first grade teacher. Um, I've also written a couple books, and I like to write blogs. Um, But that's my basic introduction. Yeah, and that's great because there are barriers to mental health and how we're dealing with it in our schools. But let's go back and talk about some of the problems you're seeing with mental health in our school systems. What What are you seeing? I think one of the biggest challenges is it is great coming off the pandemic that we focus more on social emotional learning and everyone's mental health. Uh, But sometimes um, we don't remember what some of those triggers are. Um, And so if homework is one of those big challenges, um, I still think we can talk about therapy dogs. um, We can have SEL for tier one. We can do PBIS. uh, But what are some of those initial stressors? And I think homework is one of those. Um, I do have three daughters in seventh grade, um, a freshman and a junior in high school. And that's what we talk about. Uh, When I go into the classrooms um, and I look at the kindergarten through eighth grade students, those are some of the conversations. And so um, I think when we're looking at how can we engage students in learning and be aware of their mental health, I think some of it comes down to effective teaching and learning. Um, Can we do exit slips at the end of class? Can we do bell ringers at the beginning of class? Can we do shorter homework um, or break it into smaller chunks? Because Um, Some of the high achieving students, they're going to get it done without any stress um, and they'll do it very quickly. The lower students, uh, lower ability for that class, at least they are already stressed out in your class. They made it through your class and other classes in middle school and high school. And now you're added that stress of homework where they need to be independent. Um, And now, as I see my daughters, as they're getting older, they'll do 90% of it independently. But once they get to that point where they really don't understand, they get really stressed. Um, And think about those students who struggled. Um, If they were struggling all day, now they already were stressed and now they're even more stressed than those higher ability students. So I think it's great we're talking about social emotional learning supports in the classroom, in the schools, in the districts. Um, But at the same time, how can we be aware and more proactive about some of those stressors? I just don't want to forget that. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, you wrote an entire book on homework (laughs) and growth mindset. And so they do go hand in hand. I would love to hear what you think the alternative is moving forward in education, knowing what we know about how to support kids and how growth and learning is, of course, essential for our schools to promote. But where where do you see homework in the future, knowing what we know? I really just think it comes down to meaningful and reasonable homework. So can you make it more concise? Um, Can it be an opportunity? There's a great Apple commercial about homework, and they're focusing on the topic of gravity. Um, Just look at it. It's a minute video. It's awesome. But the students are looking and exploring and creating their own. And so one way to look at homework or just other learning opportunities is how can you allow students to apply it to themselves? So I think if we make it more concise or meaningful, um, that is one opportunity. 
Um, I've been presenting and attending a lot of conferences and, and, and looking on Twitter um, and in the news and chat GPT is everywhere. Um, and I don't think we can ignore it as well because when we assign our homework, again, are we going to assign homework that students can use um, artificial intelligence um, or are we looking at ways that they can apply it? So I think the short answer is meaningful, reasonable, concise, and being aware of some of this new technology because I don't think the solution for technology directors and administrators is to lock down or close off ChatBT, um, ChatGPT. But as we're looking at it, how can it be leveraged as a different type of learning resource? And maybe we use that um, as a learning experience as well. We may have students type in a specific question to ChatGPT, and then as they get the response, they then ask the question a couple different ways to define it a little bit more and get more narrowed and focused. So I think homework really has to be connected with learning. And I just think now as technology continues to evolve, as students tend to be on technology more, their attention spans are decreasing. Um, so how can we be mindful of that outside of the classroom, but just as much inside of the classroom? I think we talk about homework a lot, but a lot of just is engaging students in learning. Um, we do have to think differently as teachers um, because the students that we are teaching are different, um, but also we're trying to prepare them for jobs that don't exist yet. And so I'm on a, a little bit of a tangent, but when we're looking at homework, or questions we ask in the classroom, they're going to be hired in jobs that are going to be taken over by artificial intelligence. Um, how can we give them opportunities to collaborate um, and ask different types of questions um, that, again, can leverage this ever-changing society? Gosh, I mean, there, <laughs> there's a lot we can talk about there, of course. And I love that you brought chat GPT in and that we're preparing kids for jobs we don't even know that are going to exist. That's a big deal. And that's also a lot of pressure on teachers, actually. So what are you, just imagine right now a bunch of principals listening to this and they, they have to answer to teachers, they have to answer to students, they have to answer to parents. So let's go back to that whole, whole homework idea. It's gotta be meaningful. We've gotta adapt to the times, right? So what do you say to a principal who's trying to lead a school, trying to make a plan for homework who there are so many different opinions around it, Eric. What do we do with that? I think it depends on the grade level. Um, I think you need to be mindful of frequency and duration. Um, you know, sometimes we're looking at a high school student and they attend seven different classes and five of them have a Friday test. How can be, we be aware of that? Um, so I think more so in middle school and high school, we need to be cognizant and collaborate of how can we space out some of these assessments? Because typically when you're preparing for an assessment, um, that's a lot of stress. And there's typically a similar routine in all of the other classes. So if they all have it on the same day, um, that is going to be stressful. But I think if we can do smaller homework that is more spaced, and even if you say, don't get rid of homework, um, but also rather than having it every single day, how can you just maybe do it twice a week? And when you decrease the duration, um, you're at least being more mindful of their outside life. Again, at my house, um, three girls active in sports, they come home. Um, one or two of them is away at sports. Then we try to eat as a family. And then two of them, the high school kids, just go up to their room. They're using their phone. They're doing homework. But how much are they distracted? And I think that's a huge word I've been using lately is that uh, being aware of the distractions. Because even right now, luckily, I have not looked at my cell phone yet. We've only been talking for nine minutes. But in society, we're getting texts from our kids. 
There's different chats. There's different things out there. So when you are in your classroom with your students, you have control over that. Um, and different teachers may do different things with the phones that the kids are bringing into school. Um, but how can you leverage that engagement and keep them engaged throughout the lesson? Once you assign it as homework, they may quickly finish that on the bus. They may get the response from their parents. They may get their rep response from another student. So you're not even grading their homework anyways. And then, like I said, once they get into their room, they're distracted with other things. And so we can talk about different philosophies, but even if we're at least mindful about how the brains of our children's and the life that they live in are changing, um, I think that can help with some of these conversations. But again, I think the short answer is collaboration. Um, so we can space out some of these assessments for different students and then just be mindful of students' attention spans. Again, they've been sitting in the classroom for over six hours a day. And then how much time do we want them to sit in their school um, as well as in their house as they're doing homework? Yeah, I mean, if you're a principal, how do you try to map that out for the school? Like, do you send something out to teachers and say, listen, write down when your assessments are so we can make sure we're not bulking them up? Like, how do you address that specifically? In my book, I always give out simplified options. I mean, I even had a day of the week where you could explore where science tests are only on Tuesdays, uh, math tests are only on Wednesdays. And again, that's too um, rigid probably, but at least it could be a starting point for those conversations. Um, so I think that's one way to do it. Um, another way of, again, just thinking through the homework of sometimes for your homework problems, you give them problems to do independently. And that last one is so challenging. Maybe you do that challenging one in class so students can try it independently, um, but then you also can scaffold that support. So I think being meaningful about what you assign um, can help in that conversation. Yeah, not to mention the stress that gives teachers. I mean, there's a lot they have to do already. So, I mean, are you looking at it like that way as a leader, trying to alleviate some of that pain for the teachers too? Some of the nice things about technology is with some of these curriculum adoptions that we're going through, um, the technology, if you're just using Google, um, Google Docs, if you make it as a Google form, it could self-correct for you. Um, but even for math or literacy, some of that homework can be corrected initially by a computer. Um, so as a teacher, I think that's positive. But I also like to focus on the immediacy of the feedback to that student. And so if we can leverage technology, and it saves some times for teachers, but it also gives that immediate specific feedback. Um, a lot of the math programs now, they will give you a differentiated um, list of questions. And so you can't copy from your peers. Um, and as you are doing that, it will give you immediate feedback. And if you get the problem wrong, you can ask for it to show an example. So it teaches you how, and then it will give you another problem. And so I think sometimes we just need to continue to look at how can we leverage technology more um, to look at different ways. And I think also as you're having that same conversation for kindergarten through second grade, we really want to continue just having them write as much as possible with their pencils as well. And so that solution may be more for middle school and high school. Um, but I think with everything, I frequently think of a continuum. Don't always do it one way. Um, sometimes if the technology is working, that's one way to get immediate feedback. Um, but others just try a different, a variety of strategies um, to enhance different opportunities and engagement for students, um, but also for teachers. So I think it's a variety. Okay. That's really important you said that because it's true. It, it does depend on the age. And one of the things that I learned as a high school teacher was the professors always said to me, 
make sure you're getting them to practice writing notes because when they come to us and in universities, college and universities, they're on their computers and they actually still don't learn as well as they do when they write. Like, so that's why when you said that to get those kids writing their pencils, there's so much about their um, learning and growth. Okay. So let's go back to that for a second, because your other book is about growth mindset. And I know there's brain-based experiences there. What else would you suggest um, for teachers specifically in specific grades? Like what kinds of strategies should they be using? Is there something that stands out in your mind? Like I just mentioned about getting teenagers to write notes more, anything else that pops in your mind? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of different things. I mean, the biggest thing is trying to get educators and students and everyone just to expect and learn from mistakes and challenges and um, vagueness, um, ambiguity. Um, because when we are learning, a lot of things change. And once we get information, um, we have to adapt and make some different decisions. I think same with teaching, um, being a parent, just living in society, we have to be able to adapt. So if we can, in the classroom, create a culture where students are expected and can learn from mistakes, then once they get out into the real world, that's what they can do. Um, because if we're always being penalized and feel very bad, um, then we're not going to take the risks. And the greatest growth typically comes from those risks. I think related to your initial question just about SEL, um, I think a lot of people talks about uh, Maslow before Bloom, but I really like that focus on esteem and belonging because if the student feels comfortable um, and they feel like they can make mistakes and they can talk with the teacher, um, then I think that will enhance their learning, especially when we get to the more complex learning. Um, the basic knowledge um, or uh, understanding is pretty basic, but if you're looking at Bloom's taxonomy and you're looking at analysis, evaluation, or when we're creating things, that's when you have to take the risk. So I think the more that educators can make their students feel comfortable, and administrators can make their teachers feel comfortable, I think that enhances a lot of it. I recently wrote a blog um, where the focus was moving out of your comfort zone by focusing on what you can control. And I like to look at different taxonomies or um, diagrams and bringing those together. So I think if we're looking at expecting growth, um, that continuous improvement, or expecting change, what are some aspects when we're going through change that is in our control? So when we're going through change, um, we can focus on innovation. When we're going through growth, we can focus on resilience. Um, but there's also things that are out of our control, like other people's thoughts. And so again, I think as students are struggling, trying to learn from an experience, the more we can help them by talking about what they can do or what they do have control over, I think we're going to make a lot of success. I think I added some different components within that blog where I talk about um, getting adequate rest and self-care. I think now we're finally talking about that more um, where students and people can say, I just need a break, you know, rather than working through exhaustion. Um, also, some of the times we worry so much about, like right now, I haven't started my taxes. I need to get working on my taxes. But the time, the time I spend worrying about it is worse than just doing it. And so I think some of the times we need to empower our students to start um, when they start, they're going to learn more information. They're going to think differently and make different type of progress. So I think a lot of this is all blended together where we're talking about that resilience, um, adaptability. Um, I talk a lot about being teachable and coachable in athletics. You're going to make mistakes. Um, but as you're playing basketball, you're playing soccer, when you're playing an instrument, um, when you're singing, um, expect 
to make mistakes, expect to hear feedback and expect to keep getting better. Um, but I think so far, like even before, a lot of people still talk about being a perfectionist. You can want to do the best you can do, but still expect to make mistakes. And so I think this whole thing of continuous improvement, being teachable and coachable and just continuing to reflect, and it's hard. Um, sometimes when I hear feedback, you take it personal first. Um, but if we can model um, and help our students learn from that feedback, again, just to focus on keep getting better. Um, another related component is just competing with other people. You're only competing with yourself. So if you keep getting better each day, um, each week, that is the goal. And again, if we can tell our students, don't worry about the high flyers, um, how can you keep getting better? Um, I think, again, that helps. But again, we have to talk about that as a parent. We have to talk about that when we're an administrator, when we're a teacher, um, because if we model this, we hear a lot of this in athletics. Um, when you listen to athletes talk, they talk a lot about this. Um, you now actually see coaches, um, even for executives. And so we're starting to get in this mindset more. Um, but I think we have to be um, available to seek help, to listen to feedback, and just keep getting better. And the more we can start that right now with our students as they feel comfortable, the better that they'll be as they, again, evolve in this complex world. Yeah, well, a lot of teachers are complaining about student behaviors, and that's what's causing a lot of their overwhelm is trying to respond to student behaviors. So with your approach, it really sounds like you do have the, like that inclusivity is, is so powerful for kids. If they don't feel like they're safe and they belong, they won't take those risks. So what are, when you do leadership with your principals and other people in the school district, what what is your one message? Like, what is the first thing you start with? It sounds like you talked about what's in your control, but if there's one thing you could leave them with, what would you do? It's a big problem. Yeah, I think it's mostly just embracing and expecting and learning from mistakes and challenges. Because again, once we do have that um, vagueness or undefined area, I think that's where we can talk more and we're more open to feedback. I think also um, empowering other ones um, and collaborating with others. So again, it's not about me. It's not an independent mindset, but it's more of a, a team mindset. Um, how can we help others? Um, how can we empathetically view their perspective? Um, because again, if you're out for helping others as a um, educator, as a student, then I think you're competing with them less also. Um, you have a shared goal and you're working together. I think also um, helping students where they can be independent problem solvers. Um, you know, how can they problem solve? How can they discover? Um, how can they just work with others and, and, and think through these different challenges? But I think a lot of things come down to, um, even with new technology, initially we're open to taking some risks, but once it gets too hard, we don't know what to do. You know, so what, and same with when you get homework. Um, what do you do when you don't know a problem? Um, do you ask a parent? Um, hopefully you do some other things first. Do you ask a classmate? Um, do you look at other examples? Do you look at vocabulary? Um, do you Google anything? But I think the more we can tell them um, ways to problem solve, that we can model that and give them opportunities in the classroom, um, that's going to be the most helpful. Yeah, it's so parallel. When you're stressed and overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, you either avoid it completely, right? Or you cry about it um, because you, you're just trying to alleviate that stress. We don't know what to do. However, um, it's, it's very similar to homework. When it's overwhelming, we don't know what to do. We either avoid it and um, we get frustrated, right? And, and we think there's no way out of it. So I love that idea of that growth mindset coupled with the homework and coupled with 
creating inclusivity. It does. It all comes together. It really does when you create that environment. And one other last thing here then is you wrote, you have a chapter, a hundred no-nonsense things that all teachers should stop doing. Okay. I know you can't mention all hundred here, but what are a couple of those that teachers listening or principals listening could do? With that one, that one's behind me. I just wrote one chapter for that one. Um, But with that one, mine was don't assign homework on long weekends or holidays. Because again, I I saw, I listened to a presenter where they talked about the number of school days students have um, at elementary school or middle school. And then I added a component where I just think where I've heard of it also, though, too, of like, how many weekends do you have with your kids as they're in high school? There's not too many of them. Um, so when we have those holidays or long breaks, um, how can we just not assign homework? Because that should be a time. Usually those students are going to hurriedly finish it before they leave or they'll finish it right before they come back. But then it's weighing on their mind the whole time. So that was the one that I wrote, wrote about. I mean, typically when I'm um, presenting, I talk a lot about leadership or growth mindset or homework. Um, that title was just about not assigning homework on long weekends. I think you can avoid that. Um, like I said, when we're talking about homework, even if you believe you should assign it frequently, there's days, there's long weekends where you don't have to assign it. And that would be one, let the kids bond with their family and do other things. No, that's great. That is really good. I want them, um, anybody listening to get your book, it's called Deliberate Homework. Is that right? I know you have a couple. So deliberate- 12 Characteristics of Deliberate Homework and yeah. the Magic of a Growth Mindset. And where can they get that, Eric? They can go to my website, ericyoungman.com, or just on Amazon, they can Google it. Okay. And I've looked at both of these books. I have both of these books. You know I do. Um, and I actually, yeah, endorsed uh, the, the growth mindset one. And I'll tell you, anybody listening to this, it's very practical. And I think we're all craving, as leaders, practical tools that we can actually implement and use immediately. So that's what these books both have. And I love the philosophy behind the, the homework, because we do need to make a shift and leverage what is really there for us to use, but have to think a little differently. So thank you for that. And um, is there anything else that you want to mention that we haven't covered? No, I think we talked about it all. I think when we're talking about different topics like SEL um, and also equity, I mean, it really comes down to just being kind to enhance that belonging. So um, I tweeted a lot. It's more, you know, mindfulness for me about that kindness matter. So how can we just be kind to everyone? Um, educators, thank you so much. You are working so hard. Um, parents have a tough job um, and students, they're working hard. So how can we just be kind to each other? How can we model that so students can be kind um, to each other as well? That's great. That is going to make such an improvement if we can just, it's so simple. If we could just do that. So thank you. I appreciate your time. I know we can talk hours, talk hours about this, but I appreciate your time, Eric. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Charlie. Continue to lead and inspire. I love your book. Again, I like the visuals and the different tables that you have in there. Um, Again, the practical um, nature of how can we collaborate and help other educators with these important decisions are important. So keep up the great work and thanks for talking to me. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it.